0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for Conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.
1: We are in Parshat Shmini, which is usually or most frequently known for two different things. Um, And as is often the case in this class, we will talking we will be talking about neither of them. Um, One of the things for which this parsha is Most often known for is it's the initial place in the Torah where we get uh, a list of the living creatures that we can consume and the living creatures that we cannot consume, um, unless you ascribe to a a plant based whole food diet. Um, And that is sometimes what we talk about. We will not be talking about that today. Um, There is another tragic and fairly well-known story that we're going to talk through the the beginning of, um, and part of what we were talking about today will sort of be adjacent to that, but it's not what we're going to focus on. Any other partial preamble? Preamble. All right, no more partial preamble. Okay, so even though this is a bit different from the way we usually do things, we're going to be focusing in on some verses in chapter Ten, but I want to back us up a little bit to the end of chapter nine because nine gives us the context for the beginning of ten, and the beginning of ten gives us some context for the verses we're going to focus in on. Um, so over the course, it's not oh, how it just occurred to me. It's it's called Parshat Shmini, but it starts in chapter nine. Uh, that was a missed opportunity. Because
2: that's how they name the parshas. I know. They name was... them by what chapter they start. I started. know.
1: But it's like come on, Torah. That was a missed opportunity. Okay. Um, come on, Torah is a phrase that doesn't really make um okay, so over the course of chapter nine, we hear about a series of sacrifices right We've heard in this these previous couple of Parshiot starting the book of Leviticus um about different sacrifices that are being offered, and as chapter nine is unfolding, we're moving from hearing about them into reading about how they're actually. Um now being done, how, how we're moving from uh, theory to action, right we've heard about how the sacrifice should look, and now we're hearing, okay, well, and Aaron is actually going about um, performing these these offerings um, in in real time, essentially. And here towards the end of chapter nine, like verse twenty two Aaron lifted his hand up to the people, he's blessing them after making these offerings. And then these, these really evocative two, Sukim two, two verses at the end of the chapter, Moses and Aaron go into the Ohelmoed, where all this unfolding, they came out, and then they both bless the people and this, this really interesting image. Um, and they behold the glory of God, right? That, oh, rather it's it's a passive voice, right? The glory of God appeared uh, before all of the people, Kavod Adonai. And then in this sort of interesting connection to foreshadowing to the narrative that's going to happen next and this fire comes out from before god and sort of like consumes everything it gobbles everything up uh, the burnt offering the fat um and when all the people see this they shout and they fall on their faces so it's this really dramatic intense climax of the offerings um that have that have been made in this place yeah okay now we move into an incident that folks might know of that's really, really challenging and fairly painful. We're not going to be focusing on this today, but it is, depending on how you read it, connected to the verses that we are going to be talking about. So in the beginning of chapter 10, Nadav and Avio Aharon's sons, they take their sort of their, their sensor, not censor, like don't say that, but incense holder. Um, they put fire in it, they put incense in it, and they offer this sort of, um, amorphous, confusing, interesting phrase. They offer a strange fire, ish zara, before God, which they had been told not to do. And then in a exact, almost exactly similar phrasing to verse 24 of the previous chapter, this fire goes out from God, but it doesn't consume what they're offering. It consumes them. And the two of them die before God. Moses, then, in in probably some of the worst nichum Avelim possible, not particularly comforting as a brother, says, this is what God had said, I will be sanctified in them that come near me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And then a phrase that folks might have seen before, Vayidom Aharon, and Aaron was silent. Aaron doesn't say anything. We can say a lot about these verses. We're not focusing on this narrative piece today. Um, we might circle back to it a bit in the Kushiot, but for now, I'm just going to move us through into the verses that we're going to be discussing in greater depth. Um, Moses calls um, relatives to come uh, carry them out from the camp, um, and they do. The, the corpses of Nadav and Avihu are, well, depending on how you read it, Nadav and Avihu are taken out of the camp. Um, and Moses sort of Prescribes morning rituals um, to Aaron and his remaining sons, that they they should let their hair grow. Uh, oh, that they shouldn't, uh rather he says what they shouldn't do. Um, don't have your hair yep. grow long, don't rip your clothes. I miss read that for a sec. Um, but because if you do that as leaders, um, right, then anger will come upon all the people. Um and like all of Israel will sort of mourn this. Um, and similarly, like you, like he sort of then tells them sort of what else they shouldn't do, like don't go out from this door um, lest you die, sort of cautioning them um, for how they should handle things moving forward, even though it's somewhat counterintuitive for how you would think family members of people who have died would go about mourning those people. Jackie, you were going to correct. Did I, did I, did I course correct there? Did I, did I get us back on track?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to tell you that it's the opposite of <laughs> he gives you the morning rituals, but right. then says, don't do them. But
1: then says, don't do them. Right.
2: Because of sort of like the. the so you weren't wrong. You just missed a crucial. You're fact.
1: not wrong. You're just completely wrong. Okay. So that is kind of the narrative backdrop for what we're doing for what we're going to be focusing in on today. So the verses that we are going to be focusing in on a bit greater depth Um, Our chapter 10, verses 9, 10, and 11. We could talk about tragic death. We could talk about kashrut. We're going to talk about wine instead. Okay. God says to Aaron, verse 9, Ya'in v'shechar al tesht. You should not drink wine or strong drink. Ata uvanecha yitcha bevoachem el ohel moed, v'lo tamutu. You shouldn't drink it, nor should your sons drink it um, when you go in to the tent of meeting, lest you die. Chukat olam ledor This should be an eternal law, an eternal statute throughout the generations. Ulahav Ben kodesh Uven It'll differentiate between that which is... I mean I'll I'll go with the basic translations as though as always translation is interpretation, but we'll go through the most normative translations of these words. Between the holy and the this is unholy. I'll just read it. Between the holy and the unholy, hatamet, tahor. between that which is and says unclean and clean. I don't like that. Between that which is impure and that which is pure, even though that's also imprecise.
2: You could use fit and not yet fit.
1: Fit and not yet. You like that better? That's your that's your preferred translation. I mean, I
2: don't know. I also have tru- trouble with it, but it's one that I heard that I dislike less than many others.
1: <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. that which is not yet fit and that which is fit, Ulaharot harot et israel, um, and in teaching uh, the people of Israel, et kol Hakukim asher aranai alehem tiad moshe, teaching them all of these statutes that God spoke unto them by the hand of Moshe. Um, so one sort of just general framing of this to put a slightly, fi- a slightly finer point on it, which is that lots of commentators, not surprisingly, read these verses as sort of an explanation of what happened with Aaron's sons who were killed, right? They, they sort of connect it with, oh, what must have happened here because that story is somewhat ambiguous. They must have been drinking. They must have been drinking before they went in. And that was the problem. So that's often seen as a connection. And even separating it out a bit more narratively, I think there's some interesting stuff to explore here in terms of thinking about wine, alcohol, um, consequences uh, for drinking, what it means to differentiate between that which is holy and that which is not. Um what it means to teach how you set that up, so i think I think um in addition to possibly separate from that narrative piece, I think there's what to explore here, Jackie, any other thoughts from you before we open it up for Puucciot?
2: Um, my, my, it's interesting because I definitely grew up in the school of like, these two stories are clearly connected. Like it was one of those moments of you think you, you think something is in Torah and then it turns out it's either Midrash or interpretation. Right, right, right. Um, but it's interesting because it also draws me into the, like, well, they clearly made a rule, like they don't legislate things that people don't do.
3: Right,
1: right.
2: So it's like an interesting. So there's clearly some reason they made this rule. And also the fact that they put them together is interesting, but it doesn't guarantee that one happened because of the other.
1: Yes. Right. You don't, you don't, you don't create legislation unless there's a need to have that legislation in place. You don't need to have a speed limit unless people would drive as fast as they wanted on the highway without the speed limit. And that's how you know I'm not originally from Southern California because I said highway instead of freeway. Okay. Um Sarah, Sarah makes that point all the time. I'm better. I'm better than I used to be, but I still say highway. Um, okay. Kushio, Tybel's
4: coming in hot. Tybal, what do you got? Well, first, I first, didn't first, know that about highway versus freeway. I'm very glad to learn that. I think um, so, right? Is that is that Southern
1: so, SoCal natives? Am I correct? If, you say, if I say highway, do you know I'm not from here? Are there any SoCal natives? No one's active. Oh.
0: From here. I'm a native. Yes. Yes, that is correct. Because when I go to the east, they think I'm funny because I say freeway. There
2: you go. Okay. What about Parkway though?
3: Oh, well, that's very that's east. New York. Yeah, that's-, that's, that's, that's a Long Island thing
2: actually,
5: because the uh, Northern State Parkway and the Southern State Parkway and the Cross Island Parkway are all and- built by Robert Moses. That, so he was the one who actually coined the term in, in that. And
4: don't forget the hutch.
5: The Hutchinson River Parkway, that's where it's at, but that's not Long Island. That's Westchester.
4: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Anyway, okay. Having been someone who worked in Valhalla for years. Anyway, okay. Valhalla. I'm so glad we've done a taxonomy
1: of names for very big roads across the country. It's good to have new wrinkles.
4: But here's the question. Here's the question. Yes. Yes, absolutely agree. You don't make a rule unless it's an issue or some things, but then how do you balance that with the rabbis need to cover exhaustively all logical outcomes? So I mean, do you know like what I'm a, saying? As a I'm theoretical
1: not saying, question,
4: you're saying? As a theoretical question, I'm not saying that they contradict each other. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying then that leads to, given that both those things are true, and even some, if we look at the rebellious son, where then the rabbis legislated it out of existence and maybe they did for soda maybe they didn't who knows but how then can you distinguish when it was a situation where it was really needed versus just covering all the bases that matches somebody's baseball cap uh
1: it's a really interesting question i think that That class in and of itself could probably be its own, like a response to that could be its own, like three part seminar in terms of Jewish law. Um, So I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I'll I'll let it kind of simmer for now. Um, Ilan, yeah.
5: I'm actually curious as to when the rabbis decided that verse nine, uh, do not drink wine or strong drink. Yeah, except for on um, the holiday of Purim, Simchas Torah, and certain Shabbat <laughs> onigs. When when did the rabbis say? Well, actually, they didn't really mean don't drink it ever in the tent of meeting, but
1: you know, only on certain occasions. Great. So so the verse seems to say pretty clearly to caution against drinking, um, and yet many shoals and many Jewish communities have that woven into certainly holiday celebrations and depending on what it's like and how Shabbat is often celebrated. Right. So what, how do we, how do we think, think that through? Yeah. Is that, is that a decent encapsulation of that question?
3: Great. It's a good question. Uh, Renee. Um, I was going to ask something similar to Elon. How does it, how do we account for um, Shabbat or any of the Simchas that we are allowed to drink? And what about um, the daughters and the wives? Are they allowed to drink? Ah, interesting. A very and is like it only when we close... go in the tent that uh-huh. we can't drink? Like great. if we go to the beach, can we drink?
1: Great. So you your great close read. Renee gets the close reading of the verses point of the day so far. Uh, I also
2: I also enjoy that your i enjoy the questions like tables that are out there where it's like i could teach an entire class and i also enjoy the questions where it's like i read seven different commentaries that answer all of your questions i don't think i brought any of them in the end but like there are answers in Hazal to those questions which i also get back to me you can get back to me i'll go back to you some of them i'll answer but
1: yeah and and i'll say first of all like just to sort of um celebrate how closely and rabbinically you're reading those verses for a minute right like you're seeing the verse and you're saying well what about this category of people and what about this place like ec- excellent excellent uh internalization of the rabbinic process that's like exactly how how it's done um that's awesome um i guess women can drink as much as they want wherever they want so have at it ladies um
2: renee might be doing it right now we, can't <laughs>
1: yeah, we don't know how renee cooks. <laughs> Um, but yeah, getting into (laughs)
2: just just for the record, Renee always cooks
3: with wine. Everything tastes better with wine in it. There you go. There you
1: go. Um, but definitely some of what I found also like talked about, well, is this, is this in general or is this a specific location? So, so I think you're on there. Yeah. Uh, Marlise.
0: Hi. Yeah. Good morning. Um, yeah, yeah, well, I have, you know, questioning like the others about the wine, um like everyone has said but it's not just only at certain times it seems like a like the, the kiddish is so central to our celebrations um and Shabbat every week so it just, it's it's just a contrast um and i'm wondering about the relationship between verse 9 and 10 um you know what were the kind of things in the tent of meeting i guess that Um, the Koanim would have to differentiate and, um, or or if they did, um, uh, just, yeah, what what exactly does that mean? And what is the relationship between drinking the wine and being able to differentiate between um, holy and unholy and so on?
3: Great,
1: great question. Also rabbinic reading bonus points, right? Like when we see these verses in close succession to each other, that you, would, you would assume, right? You, you would you would think that they're related. So, if and how might they be related? Great question,
0: Nancy. So I'm interested in the less you die because there is obviously the bruschetta, like you're going to die. But I'm wondering if there are commentators who wrote about that in other ways, like the you that is you dies as opposed to actually physically dying or something else about it.
1: Hmm when when we see die how how literal or metaphorical might that be,
3: right,
1: Jackie, did you find
3: anything on
2: that? Did oh, you... I did the thing, I did the, the thing. thing where I talked I when I was muted oh, Two years, y'all, two years, and we're still here <laughs> um I didn't no, and I didn't even that's so interesting, like I didn't even consider is it like. Is it some sort of like metaphorical? Because I did the I did the rabbinic thing where I was like, well, these verses come right after someone literally died, right. so clearly it's talking about literal death.
1: Right. Yep. Yep. But it's a great question. I mean, yeah. I think it opens up some really interesting possibilities. Um, Denise.
4: Um, so I'm looking at number ten, and it and so like when it said like boom, havdallah, and then I thought. How
0: come Tame and Tahor didn't make it in to Havdalli? Like, Because there's all those things,
4: right? Kodesh Lechol, and then whatever it is, Yisroel Lamim, Sheish, I don't know. But there's like a bunch of differentiations, and this isn't one of them. And so I'm just sort
0: of curious why.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right. When we say Abdallah we say I'm Abdiel bin Kodesh Lechol, right, between that which is holy and that which is not. ben Yisroel Lamim.
4: Yeah, and Orlachoshech is in Orl-L-Koshef. there.
1: Orlachoshech um Yom like the seventh day um and the rest of the days um so like if if you were to think potentially that this kind of liturgically hyperlinks the liturgical hyperlinks there we go that's a good band name if we were to liturgically <laughs> hyperlink this um over to Havdalah why i mean that's kind of a, a like an inverse kushia, right? Like it's a, it's a kushia from a vacuum into like why the liturgy is structured the way it is. Um, I definitely do not have an answer for it, but it is a very interesting question, right? Like if, if we're seeing this phrase here, which from a, not particularly exhaustive search of the process, I I think this is the first time this phraseology shows up in the Torah. Like, I don't, I don't know that we've seen this before. Um, Jackie's making making a face like she might agree with me. Um, I'm,
2: no, I'm just so excited because one of the texts I brought is related to this question. Oh I'm great! So great. excited now.
1: Yeah. Um, I will do something very unusual for me and stop talking, um, and I will turn it over to Jackie because that sounded like a great segue.
2: Yeah, Thank it you. wasn't the segue That's I was like, gonna make, but I'm excited about
1: it. Take the segues you can get
2: so I actually want to start really fast if I can find it. So I didn't put it on my source sheet originally, but I do want to see if I can Hi computer. I don't have enough bandwidth apparently again, two years into this and still can't do it. Right. Um, okay. So Rashi on this Renee, I will tell you, will answer a lot of your questions. I went, so the first thing I thought of when I was reading this is I immediately thought of, um the story of khana in the book of samuel that she comes and she's pouring out her heart and elie the prophet is like are you drunk woman and she's like no i'm just praying and so clearly there's a culture that like drinking control is not great and i also had the same thought as elon as like but wait a second we do this all the time um And as you read through, like, the classic medieval commentators, starting with Rashi and going through, and I brought one of them, um, who did I bring? I brought, please, Cooney. Here, I'll share my screen, because this was my favorite of them. Um, the, the classical commentators sort of go through, and they sort of, they limit the circumstances, And they work really hard to say that it's this under this specific circumstances. So Chizkuni comes in and says, wine and other alcoholic drinks, etc. According to Rashi, the addition of the word in this verse is meant to refer to a quantity that will cause drunkenness by the person consuming the wine. So Chizkuni, some some of the commentators talk about the place and Chizkuni focuses on the drink. He says, this has also been confirmed in the Talmud, excuse me, tractate Cretut, where Rabbi Eliezer understands the verse to mean, do not drink wine in quantities liable to result in your becoming drunk or in a manner which will lead to drunkenness. If, for instance, the priest drinking wine had first added water to it in order to weaken its capacity to intoxicate, he would not be guilty of violating this commandment. So it was very interesting to go through and see, to Elon's point, sort of, where the limiting was, um, it probably is taybal. I would imagine it comes from shicher. Um, that it's the. I think asked it's the, like
1: it's like a Yiddishization, right? Like Tybal asked in the chat, is that the source for the Yiddish word shicher, right? But like think about think think right, which is usually used colloquially and often derogatorily as like a drunk, um, and like shin, kaf, resh. Sechar, shakar, shikor, etc. Right.
3: And also sheker, right?
1: Um, the, you can do fun midrashic things with that. Kuf, uh, not kaf. There. Oh, okay. Cool. Sheker, sheker is is lie, right? And and here with a Kuf and here it's with a, a kaf. But that that could be very fun midrashically. So Denise, you can have okay. a midrashic party over.
2: I'm I'm tucking that in the back of my brain, Denise. I'm going to use that at some point I'll 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 give you credit um and then the other so i came so i thought that was an interesting trend is like the all the ways that the rabbis work to limit this and then i found this really interesting piece of gemara that quotes our verse about havdalah to denise's point i because i was trying to find are there places where The rabbis really actually talk about like the positive use of alcohol. Like they clearly are sitting in tension and do they ever talk about it? And so in, in this, in Shavuot, they're talking, it's going through all of these things um, and it's talking about all of these options. And one of the ones that comes to Rabbi Chiavar Abba says, Rabbi Yochanan says, anyone who recites Havdalah over wine at the conclusion of Shabbat, as opposed to you can say it over anything that's considered to be like a Fancy beverage in your play, in where you live, um, up to and including a really nice cup of tea. So anyone who says Havdalah over wine will have male children, as it is written to distinguish between the holy and the unholy. It literally quotes our verse. There you go. Now,
1: now we know. Now we know what's been going on in my house. Finally, finally, we understand what's been happening.
2: Yeah. Um, Now we know how Rabbi Shmear makes havdala. And it's written there, and it writes it again. It 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 brings a second proof to distinguish between the impure and pure. So it says this again later on. In I think this would be next week's parsha. I think it's I, I don't know my breakdown well enough. Um, and it's seated near it. If a woman conceive and bear a I, I
1: actually think it might bridge the parsha because I think.
2: I think this might be because it's stated near if a woman conceives, which is the beginning of Tazria, which yeah. I only know because that may or may not have been my bat mitzvah parsha some yeah. number of years ago. Oh, we definitely have a good bat Um And I'm reading Torah next week. Uh, yeah, this is my bat mitzvah next week. Tazria is my bat mitzvah. So this is how the parsha begins. It talks about about um, about if a woman has a, a, a son or a woman has a ha, has a I'll baby. Add-
1: jackie can i jump in here for a sec please sometimes the midrash gives you part of what it's quoting and gives you like part of the context but not all of it my my guess my my midrashic guess is that part of the reason that our verse is being quoted is because sons are specifically cited in the previous verse
2: right that's
1: my my guess right so like how is this connected to because um so like Marlies just asking the chat are our sons supposed to be more holy than daughters? I mean first of all we know that the rabbis mildly favor men over women in a few different ways. Um mildly. but I think but I think also midrashically I think part of the connection is probably because in verse 9 like son, like it's Aaron and his sons, right? Like they're specifically cited and so that would be I think at least part part of what else is happening here.
2: Did, yeah, and did, I think did, this that is sense, also Jackie? Yeah, and this is also playing with it because that's what happens at the beginning of Tazriah if a woman bears a son or if a right. woman bears a daughter and it talks really about two different cases. Yeah. Um, and then... Can I ask a question? Because yeah.
5: there's yeah. something here that's a little bit troubling. Or Actually, a lot troubling. So it says, anyone who recites hal- Habdalah of wine at the conclusion of the Shabbatot will have sons who are worthy of teaching halakha. What's troubling about that is the implication is that anyone who does not drink wine will uh, at Shabbatot Will not have sons who are worthy of teaching halakha. And how does that jive with people who have substance abuse problems, right? That that you know, are you suggesting that somebody who, who has substance abuse problems uh and therefore the chooses not to drink wine is doomed to have I'm gonna use sons, I'll say children instead who are not worthy of teaching halakha.
3: It's
2: yeah, so I'm gonna juice I'm gonna or
3: other things too, besides wine.
2: Yeah. I'm going to sort of answer Then I think I'm actually going to kick it over to Rabbi Shapiro because my guess is that's the perfect transition question to what he brought is my guess, but I could be wrong, but I'll kick it over anyways. Um, but it's interesting because I also, I find this troubling on principle, but rabbinically in the way it's playing with the text, I really love. What I love about it is that it now is connecting. It started with verse nine and now it went from 9 to 10 and now it's connecting 10 and 11 which just like i think is like a fun thing to play with yeah. um that it brings together this distinction and this teaching um and so i agree with you on principle lana i actually in preparing for this i'll tell you now and then at, at the end when i scoop the wrap up that uh when i put the bow on it that rauscher doesn't know what i'm doing yet or if i'm doing that um, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this cause that's also, I have a lot of thoughts on it. Uh, but I did actually say like, I have a lot of discomfort around this entire conversation around alcohol, both from a perspective of who am I to tell you to drink or not drink? I don't know your life. And also like, it's a, it's a thing. And so I, yeah, I agree with you, Elon. I also sit in discomfort and I also just like the way the rabbis play with text. And with that, I'm going to kick it. Over to Rabbi Shapiro. But
1: first, I want to let Ty will say what her hand is up for.
2: Oh, great. Um, but
4: I thought with a lot of this that even though it says wine, given that wines are made for grapes, one can do grape juice. Or is that rabbinic? I mean, because some of this becomes less divisive or troubling or whatever you want to say, if in your head wine also includes unfermented wine, also known as grape juice, which, in fact, is a seventh species, blah, 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 all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think sources are, I'll say it like this. I think wine is often quoted as being, quote, unquote, preferable. Right. And grape juice is also okay too. And in terms of the text that Jackie just brought, which which I hadn't read before, but it does seem like they are specifically saying wine. Right, Jackie. Which, which I think is part part of where Elon is coming from in his question. Um, I want to zoom. I want to zoom like way, wait I push myself back. So I'm going to zoom way, way out. Push myself back. So I'm going to zoom way, way out um, to speak to the the alcohol piece for a second. So everybody knows I worked at Beachuva for six years. Um, you know, in terms of talking about addiction and alcoholism and those kinds of things. And because I worked there, because I worked there for so long, I sort of like assume uh that people have had these conversations and have this awareness and i'm i'm i try to remind myself that not everyone has and not everyone does um jews can be alcoholics too jews can be drug addicts too um it is not uh restricted uh to one group of people it does not differentiate between demographics um gender race ethnicity religion culture Uh, Addiction does not discriminate. Addiction impacts everyone. Um, And there's actually data data to back that up recently. uh, The Jewish Federation in New York um, just did a really extensive research study um, uh, across hundreds and hundreds of Jews across the New York area. Um, And what they found was 10% of those Jews Um, say that they have some form of substance abuse, one in 10. So if you are at a minion, odds are one of those people. That's obviously not exactly how that works, but you understand the point. Um, And that is roughly the same percentage that is estimated for the the general population, neither more nor less, right? Rough rough estimations are one in 10 in the general population is some form of substance abuse problem as well. Um, so that's just important to say and acknowledge and notice in terms of being sensitive and thoughtful, like Elon, exactly the kinds of questions that you're asking in terms of having awareness around this kind of stuff. Um, on the one hand, yes, this has become heavily normative. Elon, Going back to your first question and you know, if you are someone who is struggling with alcoholism, and you walk into shul, and there's someone with a bottle of scotch walking around, ready to pour you a lechem, that can be really tough, right? Then, then, then we're putting someone in a tough situation. I, you know how we think about how that implements policy, what we do right. It's something to consider. Um, but at least having awareness around that stuff is important. By the way, um, I was doing a, a deeper dive into the data. This this study is Really, really interesting. You should just check it out. I mean, New York is not LA. They are different places, but they're not that, that different. Um, and there's some really interesting numbers in there in terms of the rate of poverty within the Jewish community, uh, mental health issues within the Jewish community. Um, encourage you to check it out, uh, for, for your, all, all your free Googling time, uh, between now and Shabbat. Um, and just one other little nugget from that study. But Denise, I saw your hand. Um, one other nugget from that study is they break some. They have um, substrata in some of these uh, data points. Rates of substance abuse, because you can break down by income level. They break it down in terms of like at or near the poverty line. By the way, pretty high percent. I think it was close to twenty percent um, of Jews in New York, hovering around there, and not just in one uh, denomination. Um, three percentage points higher people who are, um, more, um, well off in terms of rates of substance abuse, which is not often what a lot of our political rhetoric would seem to indicate in terms of how alcoholism and substance abuse appear in our communities. So, gonna hop off that soapbox for the time being. Um, but when we talk about these topics, I think it's important to give that additional framing. Elon, you've, you've like sort of asked a question in both directions, right? You've asked like, "How come it's so prevalent?" And wait a minute, if we're encouraging this, like, what does that actually mean? Well, yeah, uh, but that's because both one was the was the
5: parsha which said, "Don't do it," and then the rabbinical uh, interpretation was, if if you have a son, uh, and if, you, if if you uh, if you drink wine at havdalah. Uh, your your son will be eligible to uh, teach
1: halacha. So right, all of all of which seems to be sort of more "quote unquote" alcohol positive than what this verse is indicating. Yeah, great. Right. So what I I'm going to like bring us back into the verses for a sec and sort of revive um, the the really uh, excellent halachic reasoning from from Renee. Uh, earlier in terms of like doing a close reading of this, which is that what what it seems to say is that there's a context, right? There There's a context for all of this. When shouldn't you drink? When you go to the Moed, right? That if you are going to be doing something that is specifically denoted as a holy ritual act, that's not when you should be drinking why? Verse 10, to be able to differentiate, right? I would imagine most people on this call have had a drink or two in their day. Um, when you drink, you might get a little bit confused. And if you are doing something that you really need to be focusing on, particularly in a situation when you are a representative of all of the people, to be able to differentiate between that which is holy and less holy uh, that's an important thing to be able to do in that moment, and and I think this is where Jackie, correct me if I'm wrong, where that Talmud piece is picking up on. And similarly, um, or I guess it's the inverse. No, I did it again. I combined. I did the opposite, right? Because here, this verse seems to be indicating you shouldn't be drinking, right? If you're going to be teaching, and and a lot of the medieval commentators talk about how if you are going to sit. Right. And make a halachic decision. Don't drink beforehand. Bad idea. Um, and that, that seems to come from that verse as well. But Jackie, the Talmud piece you brought right in terms of the havdalah thing might be pointing in right. the opposite
2: direction, right? Right, which is so fascinating. Right. Because it's that it's it's if you drink, then your sons will teach, which is a thing you can't do while you're drinking.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean. I don't know. I, I'm not familiar with that Talmud piece. I haven't seen it before. The first thing I'll say, um, as I have heard said to me many times, is that we don't him from the Gemara, right? Like that in terms of what Halacha actually ends up looking like, um, it's not necessarily just like because there's a line in the Gemara about it, right? Sometimes the Gemara is just a compilation of stuff Rabbi said a long time ago. And um, that's that one Rabbi said, but it's not necessarily what the Halacha actually gets formulated as.
2: This um, whole, but, just to note the yeah. whole section, it's actually a bunch talking about this Parsha, but it's about like having, it's about having children and the and the things that you do and like, will you have sons or will you have daughters and, or it's mostly about will you have sons and like, will you have good kids? It also talks about Nadav and Avihu a few sections earlier, like it's oh, rich with Parsha.
1: What is it? What
2: are those pages? Shiv, Shavuot 18b.
1: Oh, yes, in all my exhaustive study of every single mesechet of the Gemara, I must have missed uh, the first little bit of Shavuot. Um, but but I want to actually I want to like further problematize this because there are sources that talk about how like wine gladdens the heart, right? And wine is uplifted, right? Like we have those pieces as well. Tybo just looking at Renee's cake. We have those pieces, too, in our tradition. We're
2: all looking at Renee's cake. Let's be real.
1: I hadn't been looking at Renee's cake. But let's take a quick pause and spotlight Renee. Renee, is this because you're number one?
3: No, it's because my granddaughter is turning one today. Uh, And we're having a Shabbat birthday dinner for her.
1: And I made her a special cake. Is that like a strawberry shortcake situation?
3: You know, I don't know. My daughter-in-law gave me this recipe for some. It's called a smash cake, and it's it's fairly healthy because there's no sugar in it. And then I made her. She likes these puffs, these like baby puff stuff, which I made her balls out of with peanut butter and maple syrup too. What stuff she'll eat?
1: Sounds delicious. I got to tell you folks, where else? But on exploring the parsha do you not only get parsha content but also a a taxonomy of large roads across the us and baking tips from renee bainville only here on exploring the parsha meanwhile back at the ranch um there are sources in our tradition that actually seem to really praise wine as something that can elevate us which seems to be very much at odds With what these verses are saying, even if you read them narrowly, right, even if you read them as talking about a specific context, um, there seems to be some tension there. One, there's tension across a lot of sources in our tradition, right, like Judaism is rarely univocal on anything, right, we often get pieces in our tradition that seem to be saying mildly contradictory things, that is often the case, right, which might be unsatisfying, Uh, it's also true. Um, there there was a really interesting piece I, I stumbled upon, stumbled, stumbled, not because I was drinking, uh, that I stumbled upon from Reb Simcha Bunim, um, a Hasidic teacher. And, and he sort of pushes it, pushes this in this direction as well. He says, he says, why is this the case? Why is this the case that we're saying don't drink when we have the source that talks about how wine can bring gladness, right? Isn't that, isn't that what you want? Right? Isn't that what you want? That a, that a priest should be somebody who's who's bringing. Right? He says, "Ein toch That that God doesn't show up when you're sad. Right? We can talk about that too. That's an issue as well. Right? But God God's not necessarily going to appear to like in this moment if you're like feeling down and depressed. Like there needs to be some elevation happening here. Um, the So why is it that wine is forbidden if wine can bring gladness? Um, right, wine since wine is thought is to bring happiness. And he says, the Kohen who's going in to do the service of God it, like deep inside in the Holy of Holies? Kabel Regashut mitzvah Because he needs to be getting the sense of rejoicing, the sense of, of uh, connection from the joy of doing the mitzvah itself, that it shouldn't be externally introduced, it needs to be something that sort of comes from within, that if you want to be getting to this place of connection, it's not just that you take a couple of shots and you're feeling great and you say, all right, now I'm ready to go, that there has to be kind of a deeper sense of rejoicing for this person to be able to do this thing Um, which is still contextually grounded right which is still um, for this particular person and then he pushes it um, a little bit further and then he says This sense that um, you need to have this kind of derived from the joy of doing the mitzvah itself I think there's a, there's a lot in there. I think it's an interesting teaching. I, I like that it sort of articulates some of the tension that's happening here and the, the tension is real. Um, and, you know, I would talk about this with folks sometimes very specifically at Beit Um You know, we'll, we'll, we'll go in a slightly different direction here um, where people would talk about using hallucinogens. There's a lot of talk about using hallucinogens these days, right? There's a lot of talk about um, how there are different drugs that it seems like might be able to provide actual medical benefits that we haven't seen before. Jackie, you didn't think we were going here at all, did you? But but here we are.
2: Um, I also have a text on this. Oh, just Jackie's know. going to talk
1: about hallucinogens as well. Well, wow, this is all taking a very interesting <laughs> turn here. on explaining the part Okay, um, because th- there might be some actual medicinal benefits. So so people, you know, who would be meeting with me sometimes would very. Sort of pleased with himself to say, like, are you saying that you can't have a spiritual experience by, you know, ingesting whatever it is, ayahuasca or or something like that? To which I'd say, that's not what I'm saying at all. (laughs) I can't dictate to you when you are or aren't having a spiritual experience. It's not on me to decipher for you what it is that helps you to feel connected. What I can offer is that, yes, that might happen by ingesting a chemical. And hopefully we can wire ourselves so that a sense of spirituality and connection and elevation and joy are not only something that happens when we ingest something, but it's something that we can manifest within ourselves. I think that that's really important. Um, and I think that maybe that's that's something that these um, teachings can be pointing us to while recognizing that, yeah, we we have gotten to a place in our culture where there is drinking on Torah, where there is often drinking on Simchat Torah. That's often part of it. I, I would offer like all things in proper measure. What does proper measure mean? That's up to each person to decide. Um, and there's sources in our tradition. Yeah, they talk about how wine gladdens the heart. And that's in there too. You know, I, I don't think it's univocal. And I and I think there's what to say in a couple of different pieces here. Pavel, you've got your hand up.
4: Um, I actually don't usually read it though it comes, <laughs> but the latest Hadassah magazine, and I think of Hadassah as... You know, it's mainstream. The articles to me are kind of watered down, but I read it. There's an article on using psychedelics in treating trauma in Hadassah magazine, which to me then tells says this is really mainstream in the Jewish community if Hadassah is writing about it.
1: Yeah, it's definitely something that's gaining more credence in sort of like mainstream Jewish thinking. The Conservative Yeshiva, which I would not necessarily say is a radical place of learning um at some point in the pandemic had people teaching about um you know how, how uh judaism and um you know chemical compounds of that nature uh, can interact and elon's going to tell us all about the time that he tripped acid at the yankees game yes elon uh,
5: <laughs> <laughs> i'm speechless you know i'm, I'm curious as, as to if there is anything in the rabbinic tradition that deals with um, substance abuse right where where because clearly there were people they might not have labeled it alcoholics, but clearly there were people who drank too much through time they 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 allude to it, but was there ever any situation where saying, you know what, yes, we do have a tradition that does celebrate with wine, and there are certain holidays like perm where you're encouraged to take it a little bit or a lot of it beyond yeah. what is yeah. normally acceptable, but we acknowledge that there are people who this may be difficult for. Is that, or is that just a modern understanding and and no yeah. place do the rabbis really deal with it or or does
1: our tradition deal with it? it it's a great question. I, I, like to answer it on one foot, I think it's more the latter than the former, right? And I think that's the way a lot of rabbinic literature is written, like rather than diagnosing like specific societal ills in terms of, like, the inner psychology of what people are experiencing. Th- they talk about it without necessarily talking about it, is how a lot of it um, is structured in terms of what I've seen, um, while also talking about Shmirata Guth, like, protecting your body. And there is a teaching um, from Hillel where he talks about how he's going to the bathhouse, and people criticize him because there are idols there. And he says, no, like, it's important, like, God gifted me this body, I need to take care of it. So a lot of the constructs that I've seen specifically looking for rabbinic sources around addiction itself have grounded it mostly in like taking care of yourself since it's a gift from God and then extrapolating that out in terms of if you are someone who um you know uh, is experiencing addiction who is navigating alcoholism therefore the importance of taking care of yourself um that's most of what I've seen um the the, the story that also comes to mind, I'm going to say, I'm going to read out what Jackie put in the t- chat, and then I'll share one more thing, and then Jackie's going to bring us home with hallucinogens and Judaism and bows, um, which is that Jackie put a source from Panemia Halakha that talks about restricting like, your substance use when you are doing ritual-specific things, right? The Torah commands kohanim not to enter the temple, like, because that's at odds with what idol worshippers do. Idol worshippers would use drugs and alcohol, kohanim shouldn't have done that, and then the chachamim derived from this, that one who is drunk or tipsy, tipsy is prohibited from praying. Um, the source that often, the, or the location that a lot of this often comes up with is around Purim, Right, that you should drink ad da, right until you don't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai. Um, I'm not booed, nobody booed. Um, you guys weren't paying attention. Um, but a, there's a reading of that reading that says, how? What does it mean, ad da? When you're sleeping, if you're sleeping, you can't tell the difference between Haman and Mordechai. So just have a little achayim, and you'll probably pass out. Right, like it doesn't necessarily mean get so hammered that you can't tell the difference between the good guy and the bad guy, right? There's something for that too. And there's a story in the Gemara that talks about how um, there were two, ra- oh, Jackie, do you, wanna, do you wanna tell the story, Jackie? Basically, there were two rabbis who were hanging out together on Purim and one of them got so drunk that he decapitated the other guy and he was somehow then miraculously revived. And then the next year, the guy who decapitated the second guy goes to them and says, hey, let's party again. And the second guy says, we shouldn't rely on miracles, right? Like, fool me once, shame on me for being decapitated. Fool me twice, uh, you should probably go to rehab, right? So, so like in the sense that, yes, maybe that's a thing, but it shouldn't be so much of a thing that it's that kind of a thing. You know, like like it's 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 in the story in that kind of way, and you don't have to look too hard to find it. So that that's a somewhat scattershot and not comprehensive answer to your question, Elon, but but hopefully that gives you at least something to go on. And with that, Jackie's gonna somehow magically wrap all that up in addition to saying something else about hallucinogens.
2: No, I brought, I brought my point on hallucinogens, though I did have a lot of really interesting conversations at camp this past summer about like Judaism and, and ritual and music and hallucinogens. Like I definitely, it was a very interesting, um, conversation at camp. Um, I also love the story of, of, um, not this time. Don't rely on miracles. Um. But like I said, when Rabbi Shafir and I started talking about this, when we kind of picked this verse, I definitely was like, I don't know how I feel about talking about alcohol um, and alcoholism and and all of the complexities that come with it. Um, and and it's interesting because I will also shout out, I did a rabbinic intensive with Beit Shuva and I love the question, where do you see yourself in the Parsha? Um, and as I was reading this, I think to me, what really struck me was this piece about I can't find it. Hold on. I got it. Um, For being able to distinguish between the sacred and profane. And so for me, the question really came to like, okay, but why is it saying this? It's not like, it's interesting that it doesn't just say don't drink when you do this. And it doesn't, and it does say don't drink lest you'll die, but it doesn't say don't drink period next topic. And it's clearly giving us a reason. And that was what I was sitting with. And I realized, I think for me, what I drew out of this is, is about presence is that ultimately what is being asked for is to be present in the moment. And again, I think this is both a gift and a challenge to us of how do we look at, at service of service of God or service of community or service of others or service of ourselves. And how do we look at these moments in our lives and what it takes to be present. And it might mean not being drunk at school. and it might mean it, Putting down your cell phone when you're having dinner with friends. And it might mean all of these other things. It'll mean different things to different people. But I think that as I I am someone who telling me not to get drunk doesn't really, you can tell me, but I don't necessarily need to be told. Um, But for me, that's really, really the lesson in this one of what are the moments in my life that I need to not be drunk on other things like my cell phone or work or whatever it is, and how to find those moments. Is that the bow? That's
1: the are bow. you tying the bow? I um, tie
2: the bow. I, I want
1: I'm going to step on your bow.
2: Sorry. but but, I, but like, we I, do. I tie the bow I and know. then you tie your own bow.
1: Okay. Um, I do want to say, you know, like, because it's a serious topic in all seriousness, if you are on this call, if you are listening, if you know someone for whom this applies, um, if you know someone who's struggling with alcoholism, with addiction, we are here to help. I am here to help. Please let us know. It is, can be extremely difficult and painful, and there are ways of navigating it that are out there, and we are here to try to support folks in that. Um, and I, like the last thing I will say is, you know, addiction is some, sometimes people ask, like, why do people drink? Why do people use? Whatever it might be. Um, people can do that for any number of reasons, and oftentimes people do it to numb or to escape pain or because life can be feeling really difficult. We're on an upward trajectory with a lot of this COVID stuff. It's still not easy right now, and it hasn't been easy for the past couple of years. And rates of addiction um, and alcoholism have really been going up. Um, and anyone who is struggling, anyone who is in need for anything, certainly including alcoholism and addiction writ large, um, deserve our love and compassion and help and care. Um, so I just want to make sure to offer that up as well, um, because it's really,
2: it's really hard to be a human. Like I, to, I'll, yep. it's hard to be a human.
1: Yep. It's hard to be a human and everybody um, encounters tough times. And probably the most important thing we can do as a community is show each other love and support when we need it. Um, and that is one of the ways that we can do that. So with that, I hope you have a Shabbat that is filled with lots of love and support and care for, uh, from you to the people you love and from the people you love to you. Um, and happy birthday to Renee's granddaughter. And uh, Bless you, Jackie.
3: Can I just add to what you said that with this regards to the drug and alcohol that I did my master's internship at the Chabad Drug Rehab. And it was exactly what you thought I, what you were saying earlier that when I first started there, I was under the impression that, oh, we're Jews, us Jews, we're smart. We're beyond doing drugs and alcohol. And it was a big culture shock to me. And it's even more so, I think, among the Jewish community because there's such, still such a stigma against it to be there for our community because many times um, the young people who are in a more religious community are are, are excommunicated from their families yep. because of those problems. So it's really important that we as a community are here for them even more so. 100%. That's my plug.
1: Smart and smart has nothing to do with it. Some of the smartest people I have or will ever meet have... and for some still have major issues with addiction smarts have nothing to do with it addiction doesn't discriminate in any way shape or form um and we're here to help in the ways that we can for the people uh we can help
0: and i have to show you something real quick.
1: okay but i'm gonna stop the recording
0: and with that shabbat shalom
1: shabbat shalom everyone
0: you have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from temple beth a dynamic center for conservative judaism in los angeles